0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Do you have in your life an I've got it person? You know, a person that regardless of the difficulty they're facing if you ask them, hey, can I help you with that? Their immediate response will be, oh, I've got it. Now, you might think that you're not that person and you probably thought of somebody else. But the reality is, in our lives, and I'm going I'm to share a couple situations, in our lives, there's points when all of us, because we want to look confident and competent, we are the I've got it person. Think about Challenges in friendships. Say that you've had a friend for a long time and and there's stress in that friendship. There's something that's sort of tearing it apart and pulling it apart by the seams, and someone will look at you and say, Hey, how are you doing with that? You'll say, Oh, I've got it, it's okay. Or say you're married and there's challenges that you have in your marriage. And it's a very personal, deeply personal relationship. And yet someone looking in your life will say, hey, are you guys doing okay? And your response: responsible. No, we've got it. We're doing okay. Think about mental health. Even maybe more close and personal. Something so interior to ourselves that someone could see us depressed or stressed. And yet our response, if someone were to say, hey, are you doing all right? You're going to say, no, I've got it. This last year, this last summer in Bainbridge, um, as we've looked at moving there as a coffee oasis, three girls have committed suicide in Bainbridge. This is summer under the age of 25. And their story is is so similar. So many friends saying, how are you? Wanting to speak into their life. And, and this, they wouldn't share what was going on in their life. You think of of the depression that probably many of us have faced. And, and in those times, it, 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 they are the times where we feel least like sharing rather than the most like sharing, even though we really maybe don't have it, right? Think about our spiritual lives. Someone can look at you and say, hey, how's your heart? How's your relationship with Jesus? And we can cloak it in these spiritual responses and we can say, no, you know, I'm, you have your ups and downs and, you know, I'm just learning to pray, or I know God's with me, or these things that we'll just say, but really on the inside, maybe we just feel like we haven't heard the voice of God in a long time. Maybe We feel like we're just putting on. And so in those moments, instead of reaching out, we pretend like we are okay. And again, I don't think this is Oftentimes because we purposefully want to push others out, but we so want to prove that we're successful or we want to prove our own worth or that we are competent at living this thing called life that we just don't let others in. Now combine that with the other human reality that when we have a challenge or a project oftentimes that project or challenges turns into 20 other projects or challenges, right? Imagine you go in to get your oil changed and $4,000 later, you need a whole new engine. Okay, can I get an amen, Carrie? Um, Right, so, so what you thought would be simple all of a sudden really isn't simple at all right? That thing that you go, oh, I've got, and all of a sudden your arms are so full that you talk with a friend about an issue and all of a sudden it unearths all sorts of other disagreements and you start to grow apart. Something that you thought would be so simple, something that you got, and all of a sudden there's brokenness in that. You see a counselor to talk about what's happening at work and some challenges you've seen in your life and you find pain that you've been holding on to since childhood and all of a sudden there's all these things where initially you just thought it was this one thing that you could kind of hold and you could kind of figure out on your own. And with these two realities combined, this I've got it that I know relates with all of us on some level, And this fact that the challenges that sometimes seem so small begin multiplying and so then that's all we can see and it's so much that we cannot hold on our own. It's a very deadly combination when it comes to this thing called life. Well, the whole story of the New Testament is built upon the fact that you do need help and that Jesus has come to help. Very simple. That you need help. Regardless of how many times you say, I've got it, no, how, no matter how convincing you think you are, we have the story of Jesus because Jesus knew that you needed help, and Jesus came to save you. And so just before we begin, there's this, these two foundational truths that, In your notes, if you're taking notes, these two foundational truths that just hold together the whole New Testament. So why we have it is the first is that you need to be saved. And the second is that Jesus alone can save you. That's simple. It's these two foundational truths of the New Testament. And so just to catch you up to speed on on where we're going to be, we've entered into the book of Matthew this week. Hallelujah, right? We've been reading the, the Bible and we've been in the Old Testament all year. And I, believe me, I've, I've shared this with, with like seminary professors and buddies who are pastors and they're like, you've preached eight months in the Old Testament? You yeah, know, like it's like a boy scout badge or something. I don't know. Um, and so, so we've, we've preached the Old Testament and then we get into the New Testament, we get into the book of Matthew and all of a sudden you get 17 verses of genealogy. And so for some of us, it might be this Old Testament PTSD where we're like, you know, it's like, we're back! Because in the books of history, you get all these, you know, so-and-so was born to so-and-so was born to so-and-so. But the reason why we enter into that in in Matthew, way, we start with that is because it just shows that, Matthew just wants to show in a quick snapshot that everything that was written beforehand in the Old Testament was leading to Jesus. Just to catch you, it's basically saying, to catch you up to speed we've arrived. (laughs) And so it's this amazing news that Jesus has come. And and so we're going to get into uh, verse uh, 18 of Matthew chapter 1. and, And this is how it reads. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So press pause here really quick. So, so what we get in the, the, just the beginning of the story is those, those challenges that we think we've got in life that add so much stressors and all of a sudden things start falling apart. That's what we get in the beginning of Jesus' story a relationship that's about to fall apart because we have a, a birth of a child that in all appearances seems to be illegitimate. And so Joseph wrestling with this is, is going to quietly divorce Mary. So those things, right, that we wrestle with in our lives, that's what's going on here. Jesus coming into that mess, that, those challenges, Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means Jehovah will save, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so verse 21 here is what we're gonna focus on this. He will save his people from their sins. And it's it's this first foundational truth of the New Testament that will help guide us and, and kind of be our, our key to understanding what we read is that you need to be saved. Jesus says, he will save his people from their sins. We need to be saved. And the question is, when I was reading this, save from what? And the answer is here, save from sin. But, but for me, and I think a lot of us, that kind of seems counterintuitive or something we don't want to really talk about. Sin is hard to talk about. Because I think if, if we were to say, what, what do we need saving from? We'd, we'd probably say, well, Jesus came because we needed him to save us from hatred. Right? Or, or Jesus came because we need to be safe from injustice, or we need to be safe from war. Right? We need to be safe from murder. We need to be safe from broken relationships. All those things that we would say, that we would point at, stressors or brokenness in our life, or things we've experienced or things we see in the world, we would not probably talk about sin. And one of the reasons is just sin, right? we distance ourselves from it. We just hear the word and it's Repulsive. But get this, and there's a lot I'm going to read here because I wrote it down wanting to say it really clearly. That At the heart of every evil is sin. Sin is the culture of the enemies of God. It is a rebellious pride to do the opposite of God's will. Its goal is to replace the authority of God with my own authority. This is the enemy's culture. So, all evil, all these other things we would point to and say war or murder or hatred or injustice, all these other evils at their heart is sin. And I want to help provide some language for us to understand that. Um, The word itself, the picture, the the, the word sin here is is missing the mark. And that has been language that I've, I've read a lot on and have found unhelpful with um, with the way the word sin gets used in the scripture and the way we see it expressed in our lives. So when I think of missing the mark, it's as if God has this standard that we just keep missing and every day it's as though we start again trying to hit the mark and just missing it all over again. And sometimes we make good decisions, and sometimes we make bad decisions. And what that leads to is this wrong idea that maybe, just maybe, we could make more right decisions than wrong decisions. Right? As if maybe one day we'll be able to hit the mark. And that's not the way the Bible talks about sin. This is the way the Bible talks about sin. It's more complicated than that. And please follow me here, this is important. In sin we discover an evil that is not passive but active. It's not a decision that, that you, you just sit there and you're like, well, I, I could do this or I could do this. If it's an action that just leaves it to us every time to decide which way we will go. It is not passive but it's active. Sin is an enemy that advances, takes territory, and takes prisoners. This is the way the Bible talks about sin. Sin is not just a decision, it is a power that subjects, coerces, and forces people to its God-dishonoring will. Sin is the culture of the enemy of God and we are not just living in the enemy's world. We discover that we ourselves are enemies of God. We are not mostly just and a little bit sinful. It's really really important we are not mostly just and mostly good and a little bit sin but the enemy lives inside of us and we willingly comply with the enemy with the enemy's god dishonoring way of life. That that is before we are freed by Jesus, that is the reality of our interaction with sin. It's not an enemy that's outside of us. It's an enemy that lives within us. And so if you're taking notes, literally with sin, sin is the enemy living within, right? It's not that, that you come to an action and sometimes you make good choices and sometimes you make bad choices. There is an active desire in our hearts to do things that dishonor God. And not all the time, but have you guys ever discovered in your life all of a sudden that you're doing something and you're like, where did that come from? How is that there? I don't want this. And so now with what I've described, I want to show you how I got there scripturally. And so first I'm going to take you to Genesis 4. This is the first time the word sin is mentioned in the scripture. And guys, this is going to be heavy for a little bit, but we're getting to point two, okay? Just... (laughs) Live with me in this place for a minute. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So sin, again, isn't a passive thing. Like you could do this or that. Sin is an active, coercive power that desires your downfall. You get that? It's not just a good or bad decision. It is an active force and a power that desires your downfall. Going on, in Matthew, this is the way it's described. He went on, Jesus speaking, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. From It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. It's not just an evil outside. It's an evil inside that we are discovering because we see what's coming out of us. We, I, I discover it by sometimes what I have seen coming up. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. In Ephesians, going on, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and all those who are disobedient, and disobedient being in in potentially God-dishonoring ways. All of us also lived, all of us, no exception, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. So all of us were in this place, the evil, not outside, but the evil inside, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And then lastly, Paul writes this in Romans. And, and this is so helpful. And don't get it, when I am reading it, it might feel like a riddle. Um, but it's so helpful. He says, We know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Does it ever feel that I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. Right? That, that evil inside, right? Not outside. It's not that I am just see it going on, but confronted with it. Do you see the frustration that we experience? And, and this I, hopefully this gives voice to some of the tangible experiences you've had where you're frustrated because you see the law of God, you see the goodness of his commands and you wrestle with it, right? You go, man, I see the good and I want to do it, but I, I don't. I, the culture of my heart is the culture of the enemy. It's not the culture of heaven. It's not the culture of God, right? That's a frustration we feel, and, and it does not help to just say, I've got this, right? I've got this doesn't work. And, and what we find in that we are not just living under the enemy's rule and reign, but participating and complying with the enemy's culture, is that the way it describes it in Romans, is it the wrath of God Includes us and is focused on us, and we feel it, and we know we deserve it because God, who is just and good, and so we, we wrestle with it because we're like, I see this, and man, I we have this frustration, and and we must be saved from this. I think the best description of this is in the uh, the Christmas hymn, "O Holy Night." It says, "Long lay the world." In sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That Jesus comes to save. That is the gospel that you needed saving, that I needed saving, that the world needed saving. We didn't just have it. And and so we feel this as we walk through Eight months of the Old Testament and we feel the frustration, we feel the tension, the frustration of walking through the Old Testament and, and the feeling of constantly going, we've got it, God. Like we can do this. We can, we can make enough sacrifices, maybe please you, God. And, and God is going, no, like that won't, sacrifices and this isn't ultimately what I desire. But this constant attempt to do it and maybe be able to do it on our own, maybe be able to please God. The reality is we need to be saved. And so Jesus comes on a saving mission. That Jesus came, this is the big idea, right? What's wrong with the world? Sin. The culture of the enemy that just doesn't live in the world that we've, fe- we've found lives inside of us and that Jesus came to save us from the enemy living inside. And you see this in Romans 8 where it it talks about the the flesh and the spirit, the life according to the flesh and the life according to the spirit. And so Jesus comes to save us. And the word saved, going back to Matthew, so he came to save people from their sins. And the word saved is this beautiful word. It's a word that sozo. And and this is the way it, it is used in the scripture. It's to make whole or be healed, and you see it used here in Matthew eight twenty five when the disciples feel like they're going to drown, and they literally they just say, "Lord, save us!" <laughs> right, Lord, rescue us. In Matthew nine twenty two, it says, "Take heart, your faith has healed you. You've been restored. This part of you that was sick has now been restored." In in John three seventeen. Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to go, look at how messed up you are. But Jesus came to rescue us, knowing the place we were in. Acts 2.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. In the name of Jesus Acts 16:31, "Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will be rescued, you will be saved, you will become whole and new, restored completely. That's the good news. And so the question is, how can Jesus do that? And the, the answer comes here in verse 22. And 23, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. How can Jesus save? Because Jesus is God. (laughs) That's the message of the New Testament is that you need to be saved. And so Jesus, God himself comes to save you, Emmanuel. The king has returned to claim which was rightfully his own, the one who created all things, who created the world, breathed it into life, has come back to rescue the world. The Statement of Faith of the Refuge Church reads this way. It says, we believe that a restored relationship with God, a healed relationship, saved is possible only by grace through Jesus Christ who became man without ceasing to be God so that by dying in our place on the cross and rising from the dead, we might be forgiven and restored to relationship with God. Guys, that is what we believe, and that is the whole foundation for the New Testament, is these things that, that you don't have it. Right? Yeah, that's, a, that's good news for you to know that you can say help. And the second thing is that Jesus has come to rescue you and save you and make you children of God. And and so what happens when you become a child of God by faith in the name of Jesus, that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved, means that instead of the enemy living within, God himself dwells in you. You become children of God, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to live in you. Instead of living a life by the flesh, you live by the Spirit. And so that that you, as you live, from this moment on, no longer are subject to sin. It doesn't have a right or authority over your life anymore, that the bondage that you've felt in your life, you now have one who frees you from that. So what does this look like practically in our lives? Practically in our lives, what this looks like is the simple cry that the disciples had when they felt like they were drowning, which was, Help. Help. And the way it applies to you, if you're a child of God, means this. If, if you, walking with Jesus, with the Spirit of God in you, see sin in your life, you still need to cry out, Help. Save me. God, I see this in my life but you have one who speaks on your behalf, one who defends you, one who is for you. That's the good news of the gospel is that the enemy has been chased out and the spirit of God now is with you, walking with you, gives you power. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you also can say help. If you feel like for so long you've been like seeing that tension in you where you go, man, I I do want to do good, but I see the good that I want to do, I just see reactively, I don't do that. I just feel so helpless. You say help. Because Jesus came, God himself, to rescue you. That is the good news. It is such good news because we know how bad the news was before that. Right? And, and we have to know the bad news because if we don't know the bad news, what will happen, guys, what will happen is we will constantly keep going, well, maybe I will do more good things today. And that doesn't work. What God is inviting us to is a partnership with his son who saves us and his spirit who will lead us and guide us in all truth. And that is our hope as children of God. Our hope is that we can say help And know that the whole mission of Jesus was to save us. Guys, that is the foundation of the New Testament. That's what we're gonna take with us throughout the the whole reading of it. See, where we're at now is is amazing, is that Joseph got this simple message, he will save his people from their sins. And he didn't know all that that would mean. He didn't know the rejection that would mean for Jesus. His death, but then his future glorification, resurrection. He didn't know those things but it is as certain as anything in the birth of Jesus that salvation has come. And so what I wanna invite you to now is anticipation for the unfolding of that story as we read the rest of the New Testament.